But over the next 25 minutes or so, I want to talk to you about what, like, what you just experienced. Not just that maybe the Lord impacted your life or so, but like you just got to experience lives being impacted. Like you saw like, very well somebody who came up here or here was having a life-transforming moment is what could have happened. And I love that so many of you got out of your seats and came and prayed with that person, not even knowing what might have been the reason they came to the altar. Now, I, I kind of got caught in the back there, and uh, usually I'm here, and so looking, and I was watching several others of you, I could tell just where you were sitting, the Lord was impacting you, something life-transforming was happening. Can I just tell you, that is why we do what we do in the church world. Like, you just experienced it. You just watched it. If you went home and, you, and like, your whole experience was, man, the music was cool today. The pastor was kind of funny. I'm supposed to say amen on that, on that one. <laughs> Start off very well. If you went home and just said that, like, you know, like, man, those, the lighting they do there is pretty awesome, too. Like, it would be really a failure overall for us because transformed lives is what matters. It's what matters. Everything is just a tool that God puts in our hands so that he can use us to help people have transformed lives. So amen to what we just experienced and what we just walked through. Hey, um, you might know that I, I grew up in California, um, but I was actually born in the South. Austell, Georgia is where I was born, and I lived there to about six years old. And there's a few things that stuck, like sweet tea and... and uh, Atlanta Braves baseball, but there was something my mom used to make that uh, we enjoyed. I mean, we loved it, all three of us, my older brother, my younger brother. It's fried okra. Have you had it? Yeah. Yeah, you better have had it. You live in the South, right? Um, now, my, my mom made fried okra quite regularly for us. Um, if you had asked me as a five-year-old what is okra, I could have told you. It probably would have been in the candy department uh, because it was fried, and it didn't matter. You could fry bark in the South and we'll eat it, right? Oh, loved it. So when we were six years old, we moved across the nation to California. I mean, got about as far away from Georgia as you're, you're going to be able to go. And so I grew up uh, it kind of in the Orange County area before anyone called it the OC. Uh, it was Orange County. That's where we lived. And I learned early on that uh, none of my friends knew what okra was. I'd never heard of okra even. In fact, we, we kind of had different names for it, and I'd love to have remembered what it is, and I can't. Uh, when my mom would make it, we'd call it something, but I can't remember that name. So I had to even ask my mom, what was that stuff? What was it? And when she said okra, okra, nobody knew what okra was uh, among my friends. So when I got to about high school or so, and I was a little more savvy and actually looking in the grocery store, there was a couple places, even out west, that actually sold okra, um, you know, it's in the vegetable department. Who knew, you know, at the time? Um, so getting some and, and cutting it up and making it, I learned early on, I don't quite know how to make it like my mom. Um, and because I, the first time I had not fried it up, I learned okra's kind of nasty. <laughs> kind of <kinda> gross. <laughs> in fact, everyone I, I served it to or tried to try it, they would say about the same thing. I remember finding it in a jar one time where it was kind of like you'd find jalapenos in a jar with liquid. It was okra in a jar. And I thought, well, this is probably, now this is what I needed. I just need it sitting in a jar for a while and some whatever that liquid is. Um, so I got it. No, that's horrible as well. Um, 
Oak Ridge is not very good. Not very good. But who knew? Because if you fry it up in my mom's frying pan, you eat it and you love it. Before I realized, not everyone in the world likes okra. Can I tell you that sometimes as believers in Jesus, we can get so caught up in this, what we're doing right here on Sunday morning, celebrating, enjoying one another, singing, you know, letting just, you know, the Lord's Spirit wash over us, that we might forget and lose sight as there is a world out around us, everywhere, that doesn't know Jesus, they're not interested in Jesus, and they may not even like Jesus. And so I want to remind you this morning that our focus and our purpose, though we love this and enjoy this, is to take this out there. That's what our purpose is. That's our focus. And so for the next few minutes, I just want to walk you through why we do what we do at Windover Hills. So if you've got your sermon notes, uh, grab those because you're going to need those. If you don't have one uh, and you'd like to slip up your hand, Pastor Anson's over here, and he will run like the wind to you and get you a copy so you can kind of walk through this this morning. Some people just like to see him run and raise their hand, even though it's sitting right in their lap already. So that's fun too. You're free. Do that. Do that. That'd be great. The passage I want to look at this morning, I want to tell you this passage we're going to start. I love this passage. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's a parable. One of my favorite parables in the Bible. And if I've actually gone to this parable so many times, to teach and to preach and to share about this thing of spreading God's love and sharing about Jesus Christ. I have never talked about it from the perspective that I want to talk to you in the next couple minutes about it. It's found in Mark uh, chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. Um, I think your notes say John 4, but Mark chapter 4 is where it's actually found. You have one verse on there. It's the beginning of this. So let me just highlight the rest of it, and it'll be on the screen for you as well. Here's what it says in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 3, a parable that Jesus tells, which is a story that teaches a point. Listen, Jesus speaking. A farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across the field, some of the seed fell on the the footpath, and, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on the shallow soil with underlining rock, and the seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under this hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted and grew and produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone who hears this should listen and understand. If you've hung around the church world enough, you're familiar with this story. Can I just highlight one brief section of that? It's at the very beginning. It's what I put in your notes this morning. Jesus talking. He says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. That's the most powerful part of this passage for us to understand, that the farmer went out. I wonder, why did the farmer go out and plant some seed? Well, if you're uh, into planting at all, if you like to do a garden at your house, or if you grew up doing that as a profession, or whatever the case may be, you would understand you plant so that you would reap a crop. That, that's the whole goal of it, right? 
you plant, and then you were going to work the ground, you're going to do everything you need to do so that you can have a harvest at the end. If you love, if you love snow peas, right, then you could, you could do them like during the wintertime, anytime. If you love other peas, you can do them during, you can do peas all year long, three or four times. If you love it so much, you can throw the seed and you can reap a harvest of peas. When I open your freezer at your house, you're going to see cans of peas everywhere, right? Because you wanted that harvest, you wanted that crop. That's why a farmer plants, because he or she wants a crop. And so they scatter seed. Can I tell you this morning that as believers in Jesus Christ, when Jesus says in this passage, this is what the kingdom of God is like, he is saying to us here, go and be a part of scattering seed. Now, if you're like me, because I love this scripture, I've gotten so caught up in the four different kinds of soil and talking about the four soils and talking about what they represent and, well, who's a believer? Who's not a believer in that? And talking about all the theological implications of those four soils as well. Sometimes even missing the key point, Jesus says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. A farmer went out, planted seed. A farmer like, went out wanting a crop, and so they planted some seeds. Can I remind you, our mission is to tell people about Jesus Christ. And Jesus is using this story to illustrate to us, okay, do you want a crop? Go out and plant seeds. Go plant now, I'm not big into the whole farming thing. Uh, we've tried a couple times, had a great garden in Chicago. Um, something about weeds wins out. Uh, but I do understand the principle of all the years I've never planted the garden, I never got anything that came up of all those years. You think at least one of those years that I didn't do anything, you know, I might just by surprise have something pop up in the backyard. Never, never happened. Go plant the seed. That's what Jesus is saying. Can I give you two, uh, two simple core values that any church should have? Certainly we have them here at Wendover Hills. Two core values. They're in your notes this morning. Here's the first one. We want to reach people for Jesus Christ. We want to reach people for Christ. That our, our calling is to go share the love of Jesus Christ with people. Not to just love them. That's, that's what we do. That's an avenue of sharing Jesus but we want to share who Jesus is and what Jesus has to bring their life. That's a core value, sharing Jesus, reaching people for Jesus Christ. Here's the second core value. The church is our avenue. And we believe so strongly that the goal of this church and the purpose of the church is the avenue for the first value, to share Jesus Christ. That's what the church is here for. Well, Tom, I mean, what about, isn't the church like here to build into us and raise us up and disciple us? Absolutely. No doubt. You know, that, that's why we, we have our growth groups, and that's why uh, we love to, to one-on-one sit down and just talk about your spiritual journey. That's even why, like, this Tuesday night we're starting that Bible, um, uh, biblical finances class, because it's part of the discipleship journey to learn how to use our money from a godly perspective. But don't miss that we're called as our mission to reach people for Jesus Christ. And we're gonna leverage everything we have as a church to make sure 
we're reaching people to make sure we're letting them have the transformational experience with Jesus that you just saw happen just a few minutes ago at communion time. That's core values. In fact, if you're in the church, but you don't believe this about the church, then you are constantly at odds with the church because that's our core values and that's our mission to reach people for Jesus Christ and to use the church as our avenue. And so I'm going to share with you uh, a few goals that we have for 2018. As a board, we met together. As a staff, we've met together. And that these are some goals that came out of this. And you've got to understand, these goals come out of the core values here of reaching people for Jesus Christ. So if you have your, your notes this morning, here's the first one. Uh, we want to grow to 200 people here at Wendover Hills. Now, we have never been a church that's focused hard on numbers. It's it's something that, though we talk about it at a time, we, you know, we, we take attendance, we look at who's here and those kind of things. We want to make sure we know who didn't make it so we can ca- catch up with them and care for them and all that kind of stuff. There's always felt like something a little weird for us here at Wendover Hills. Like it wasn't part of our DNA to get up and just to, to preach numbers regularly. It's never felt like it perfectly fit. But the truth of the matter is, don't mistake that, that we don't have a passion to see more and more people reached for Jesus Christ. And so we have a goal in front of us to reach, to reach a number, to keep moving forward and to have more people come into our church who need to know Jesus, who are not currently plugged into a church at all. Now, there's really no secret to church growth. It's quite simple. You can go down to your Christian bookstore, buy any book on church growth. There's no secret at all. Church growth happens when the people of God invite people who don't know God. It's simple as that. The church growth happens immediately. In fact, a church can double in a week if all of their people were to invite and bring someone along. There's no secret to that. But take a look at this example. If starting this new year, and we're in February already, I said to you, I want to lose 20 pounds. I want to lose 20 pounds. You might look at me and say, maybe 25, Tom. Let's say I want to lose 20 pounds, right? Thank you over there for that laugh. Appreciate that. And I say, okay, here's how I'm going to do it. I am going to try to drop a pound, uh, about a half a pound a week. I'm going to kind of cut some things out of my diet. I'm going to start to do a little more fitness, and I'm going, to, I'm going to really think about what I'm taking in and what I'm eating over the course of the week with a goal that every Monday I'm going to weigh and see if I kind of drop a half pound over the course of a year. It would be about 26 pounds that I could lose, right? Probably be pretty healthy uh, uh, weight loss. I'd probably feel pretty good about myself. I'd probably be able to move pretty good. And, but yesterday I read an article about how to drop weight if you might have an upcoming MMA fight. Anybody in that camp here today? And the focus of this six-day weight loss program to cut 20 to 30 pounds is crazy. I'm crazy. So this person, what they wanted to do was test this theory out to see if weight could be lost during that time frame. Sure enough, they lost 27 pounds in six days. But across the board, everything they were able to do on day one was retested on the end of day six, and in some instances, they couldn't even do half of what they did on day one. You would say, 
well, you got the 27 pounds off, maybe not the healthiest weight loss. As this person said, they felt sickly and terrible. The worst they'd ever felt in their life is what they actually said. So just like that in the church world, can I just tell you, our desire when we say grow to 200 is to think about growing in a healthy way. In fact, you're not going to see a lot of uh, uh, fun gimmicks and attractional model type of things from us because it really doesn't fit who we are anyway. If I stood up and I kind of gave you some of these gimmicky type of things to say we're going to do this next week, you would probably look at me and kind of laugh anyway, and, and you would <laughs> invite your friends. But I know you're passionate about reaching people for Jesus Christ. I know you're passionate about seeing people's lives transform the way yours transformed. And in that, we're inviting healthy growth to get out there and to learn how to share your testimony, to learn how to speak into people's lives when they're going through difficulty, to learn how to show people the value of Jesus, even if it's, they can understand a value as small as this, and one day trusting that the Holy Spirit will speak to them more. God even talks about numbers in his, in his word. If you take a look at Acts chapter 6, verse 41, I want to read it to you from the message translation. It'll be on the screen. You have the one verse, but look at this. Peter said, Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, change your life, he's preaching. Turn to God and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so your sins are forgiven. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is targeted to you and your children, but also to all who are far away, whomever, in fact, our master God invites. He went on in this vein for a long time, urging them over and over, while, get out while you can, get out of this sick and stupid culture. That day, about 3,000 took him up on his word, were baptized, and were signed up. We find here that God, God wants his message to be heard. He wants us to take it to them. I recently read an article from Christianity Today about a church launched. They had a first service launch, and they had 307 people in their first service launch. A celebration, right? Outstanding. 307, first Sunday morning. Well, the author of the article went and did some some digging and researching, and this is what he found that in this community, which was a community of about 80,000 people, in this community, he found seven churches that spoke with him, and as they interviewed him, and they started to catalog people that these seven churches had lost that said they transferred over to this new church plant that launched. In the end, he came up with 331 names from seven surrounding churches that had left to go to a new church. It's it looks a little bit different when we think about Christians just swapping out churches and going to new places. Can I tell you that every church is dependent sometimes on believers, mature believers coming in and being great uh, leaders and helpers to the mission. But our goal and our passion is to reach people who are not in church, people who are far from God, people who have no interest at this point in knowing Jesus Christ and letting them know what we have discovered ourselves. That's what we're about. That's what we want to see our growth and our healthy growth happen. But that's our goal. Second goal is this, is we'd like to see 80% of our church in serving roles in the church. 
80%. So we decided to do this as a staff. We just took everybody who was serving on a regular basis and we started to look through it. And we learned that we had, uh, among adults, 39% of our adults are currently serving in a regular basis. Now, some of you might pop in every once in a while and do uh, an item, and we appreciate that. But 39%. So as we looked at this, we started to say, what would our goal be? It's a pretty audacious goal to say we want to double that number and have 80%. So this week, I spent some time reading a book about uh, the volunteer life at your church. And he said this, in many churches in the church world, that it usually goes about 95% of the people don't serve, and about 5% are serving and running things. And I thought, wow, in that perspective, we're doing really good. You know, that's great, right? He even said the best goal to get to would be about 50%, serving regularly. I thought, oh, man, do we shoot ourselves too high here, Lord? I mean, should I go change the sermon notes? They were already printed, and we'll look at 50%. And I said, I said, no. Lord, uh, among our staff and among our board, we sat together and processed and even prayed over it, and our desire is to see 80% of our people plugged in to regular ministry. Why? Well, granted, there's a lot of things that happen in a church world that you need volunteers, but that's such a minute reason. The reason is basically this. Your growth, your spiritual growth, is almost always connected with your heart to serve. Almost always. And so we find that more people will grow in their walk. You may be familiar with the Pareto principle that says 80%, uh, or excuse me, 20% effort will keep 80% of the engine running uh, as much as it needs to. And we look at this and say, well, let's flip that around and say, like, if we had 80% traction, what could we do? Well, we could obviously cover everything that happens inside our doors, but our heart's passion is to keep doing things outside of our doors, too, that reach people for Jesus Christ. And so we want to invite you to serve, to be plugged in on that level and to grow in your Christian walk. There's amazing opportunities to serve him. In fact, if you were to be asked, what is one word that described Christianity? And you had to think of like the one word that best described. I, well, I mean, the easy words would be Jesus, right? Because that's always the right answer to say, just say Jesus, you know. You might say the word salvation. Uh, you might be more theological and you say sanctification. You might come up with words like that. Can I tell you the word that hits my heart? Servant. That's the word that really describes what we're about as Christians. Servants. It was the role that Jesus Christ played when he came here, and it's what he calls us to play as well. This morning, if you're like already, you know, that's me. I, I've, I've wanted to serve, and, and uh, I, I, just, I needed a little bit of a pep talk on it. And this is the morning I heard it. Could you this morning let us know that on the card? We may have no idea how you want to serve, and you may not know, but we'd love to get with you and just help you on that spiritual journey as it pertains to serving. Here's here's the third goal we have, is that we would have 60% of our people here at Wendover Hills faithfully tithing. 60%. They would be locked into saying, I believe the biblical principle of giving the tenth of my income to the Lord's house. Now this is something we've 
taught about and we, we've spoke about many times. We've traced it from the Old Testament and how it transitions all the way up. But the truth of the matter is, there are two things that sometimes that we halt or they are obstacles to our Christian growth. One is our time, we just talked about that, and the other is our resources, the other is our dollars, and that we get stifled. And that there are times in our life when we look at it and we say things like, God, God is number one, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm passionate about that, but I don't, I don't really serve God in any capacity, and I don't give in any capacity. And the question I'd have for you this morning is, how deeply then has it penetrated your heart? How deeply this mission that God has called us to? Here at Wendover Hills, the last time that we've done this type of analysis, we came up with about 37% that we would think is kind of a, a tithe or a regular giving that, that appears to be a tithe. As you know, I don't look at dollar amounts. I don't look at names attached to dollars. So I don't know if you do or you don't. But our goal would be 60%. We've been able to kind of handle a budget at the church at 37%. What could God do in the way of reaching people, funding our ministries here, but reaching people with 60% of the people tithing and giving? Now, you might say, well, Tom, 60%. God wants us all as believers to tithe. You would be right. I would be right there with you preaching the same message. But from a goal perspective, we believe this year, if God could speak to your heart and grow you and grow us to this point, 60% would be a phenomenal goal. So the question is this morning, how does this all happen? How do we do this reaching people for Christ? Let me just briefly walk through these four things that I've put in your notes this morning. First thing is just a simple understanding of we have to go. We have to go, meaning we have to be active in everything we're doing as believers in Jesus Christ, to get up and go. In fact, it's been said that the church is really a mobile mission with a headquarters, meaning the church is our headquarters. Our mission is well beyond this building as well, a mobile mission with a headquarters. Here's the first thing we need to to know and understand about this. Non-believers will not simply make their way to our church. Did you know that? They, like, non-believers are not just lining up out there saying, man, I just wish I could get into that church, but it's just so full today. So, I don't know, maybe, maybe next week. We live uh, at, a, at a time in our culture where this just isn't true. For centuries, uh, Western culture has really enjoyed this, this common Christian language, this Christian focus. And the main emphasis of the church has not been so much to reach people who don't know Jesus. It's been to reach people who have lapsed in their faith. In fact, even as somebody who grew up, grew up kind of in the church uh, when we were very young and then out of it for quite a while and became a Christian in my teens, even myself, I heard so many times people share, and at some point in their story, they will share of the time they were in church when they were young. But I'm telling you, we've reached a generation where that's no longer true. That it's just as easy for you to go out and have a conversation with somebody and they've never been in church in their life. They've never known God in any capacity in their life. And so for us to think that something might happen in their life and they'll be drawn back to what they've learned, we have to understand in our culture that is going away. And it feels like at times it's gone away. 
So God needs us. He's called us to go out and to share. In fact, the growing number of people that identify with religious affiliation by checking a box marked none has increased the most dramatically of any box. Paul says in Romans, he reminds us, how can they hear about him, about Jesus, unless someone tells them? Tells them. Now, we live also in a day and a culture where loving people is a dominant theme, and we better be doing it. We should love anyone we come in contact with, whether we agree with them, whether our lifestyle matches up with them or not. But at some point, the gospel, the name of Jesus, has to be transferred in words. And God has called us to do that. And this church is a great opportunity for us. It's a wonderful time to be a believer, to be a Christian who gets to go share this, to talk to people who have no reference point to what Jesus Christ can offer their life. And so our desire is to be equipped, all of us, so that we can go. Here's the second principle, and it's that multiplication always beats out addition. What do we mean by that? Well, you remember the old uh, thing you might have learned in elementary school, the question was, for a month, 30 days, would you like $10,000 a day, or would you like, you know, like a penny a day, and it doubles every day for 30 days? So one, you come away with $300,000. Now, that sounds pretty good. I'll take that, $3,000. That can be life-transforming, right? But the other, according to the math, comes out to $10,737,418.23. That's better, I think, Understanding what it takes, that all of us, understanding that as a believer in Jesus Christ, and not just a, you know, a full-time minister or somebody on staff somewhere, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we're all called to this mission, this value of reaching people for Jesus Christ and the church being our avenue for it. We're all called to that. Now think about the, the, the difference in if four of our staff members or five of our staff members, if we all saw that as their job to go out and do that, they might impact a few people, might invite a few people, might get a few people, we might baptize a few people. It'd be awesome. We'd celebrate every single one. But think about God mobilizing his entire church, even a church our size, and sending us out. And when somebody became a Christian and got plugged in here and got discipled here, they were learning the same thing, and then they went out and shared it with their friends. Think about the multiplication verse addition there. Here in Acts chapter 22, it says, For you are to be my witnesses, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. I'm telling you, church, that passage is for every single one of us to take and to own and claim. Here's a couple things that are significant, though. Number three, the Holy Spirit accompanies those who go. Do you understand that? Like, the Holy Spirit actually accompanies people who will go and do the mission of the kingdom, to go reach people, to tell people about Jesus Christ. You might today say, well, Tom, I've only been in the church, you know, a couple years. I've only learned so much. I feel a little inadequate in my knowledge. Well, guess what? Go share what you know. Go share what God's done already in your life. The Bible says this in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus talking to his followers. Jesus was sent, and Jesus saying, I'm sending you now to go and do the same thing. Like that passage to me is like your, like your daddy pep talk to say, you can do this. You can make this happen. 
in two different locker rooms later this afternoon, there will be a major pep talk before they send their players out on the field. I mean, these are adult players, right? How much do they need pep talks? They play the game all the time. They need it. They'll take it. They'll receive it, and it'll make a difference. And when I read a passage like that, that is like my Father in Heaven giving me, Tom Raven this morning, a pep talk. Say, you can do this. I'm sending you to do this. You've got it. Church, can I tell you as your pastor, I'm sending you as well. I'm claiming this verse for all of us. God has sent us out to share who he is. Here's what Psalm 67, this is the heart, this is the desire of God. This is his heart. May your ways be known throughout the world, your saving power among people everywhere. And then finally, there's this beautiful passage in Genesis chapter 12 about Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land I show you. I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I shared with a few weeks ago and I told you the power of this passage is this. Abraham didn't know where he was going. Get up, get on the road, take your family, go and then I'll tell you where you're going. Power along the way. This morning, it might very well be you're saying, I'm not quite sure how to do this. I'm not quite sure. Well, tell you what, we want to disciple you. We want to help you. In fact, in March, we're going to have a brand new class that that's all it's about. How do you share your faith? For a month long, we'll talk about that. But for now, just get up and go because God's calling you to. And trust that God will meet you along the way. And he will empower you. He'll give you words that you didn't have when you walked out of the door. Finally, a significant for us this morning. Jesus' promise of greatness for the church always relates to sending. It was Jesus who implemented the church. He empowered the church. And even said so strongly, the gates of hell shall not prevail over the church. And he sent his believers out. But this promise of greatness for the church, it's always about sending. It's always about going. If we hunker down, if they had to hunker down, guess how many believers there would be? Well, it'd be about 120, maybe 200, depending on the biblical scholar of how many people were in the upper room, right? And then they would all died. And that would have been it. But that's not what happened. They went and they turn their world upside down. If you're ever interested in that story, in God's word, the book of Acts will tell you all about that story. Here's what it says in John chapter 16, verse 7. But in fact, it is best for you that I go, Jesus is talking here, because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. This is why you have such power, and this is why the process of multiplication happens because Jesus could spend so much time with a certain group. Here, he's saying the Holy Spirit will come on all of you that are believers, and I'm going to send you out, and you're going to make an impact in anyone you come in contact with. That's multiplication, that type of growth and connection. It's why a little bit later in the same passage, Jesus says this phrase, which seems a little odd. He says to his believers, you will do greater things than I did. That's the Savior of the world speaking because he knew that they could take the Holy Spirit and impact anyone, anywhere. Church, we've got the same Holy Spirit available to us to go impact the lives of anyone, anywhere. 
2 Timothy 2.2 says it this way. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. That means, hey, we agree on all of this talk about Jesus Christ. Now, teach these truths to trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. He's saying here, okay, now disciple other believers. Teach them to trustworthy people. Disciple them. Teach it into other believers because they're going to go out and share it with others. This morning, Mark Wilson, who was my youth pastor, built this message into me so that I could go out and share it with other people. If you've never caught on to it, me as your pastor, my desire is to build it into you that we all might go out together and pass it on to other people, all of us. That's what Paul is tearing in the book of Timothy there. The greatness of the church is really measured by this. It's measured with people who went. This morning, our takeaway is simply this. Are you willing to invest and invite people? Are you willing to share your faith in this way, to invest in the life of somebody coming and being a testimony that they surrendered their life to Christ and their life was transformed? I would guess over the course of this message this morning, probably if you're tracking along with this, if your heart is tickled at all by this mission that the church is called to, you probably had names of people pop up in your head already. And it's why at the very end of this sermon notes here, I gave you three lines. They're not going to be filled in on the screen. They're for you. If your heart is willing to invest and invite to plug into this mission, to be a part of a whole church that is sending people into our world to share the love of Jesus Christ. Then there's three lines for you to put down three names. Whoever God has put on your heart, just go ahead and write them down there. And this is, this is the task I want to put before you. Over the next week, all I want you to do for a week is pray for them. Don't invite them to church next week. Um, unless God does something dramatic. Don't invite them to churches. Just pray for them every single day. Lord, I, just, I pray that you would use me to reach so-and-so. I pray you would be opening their heart to know you as their Savior. These three people, for one week. Next week when we come back together, we're going to have a three-week series. We're calling it How to Relate. Next week, how to relate to your family. Maybe an issue for some of you. Then in two weeks, how to relate to your community. And uh, I'm going to introduce you to... to Pastor Winley Conley, who's going to share that message in a couple weeks. And then how to relate to unbelievers as well. But for a week, you pray. And then here's what I want to ask you to do. On March 4th, we're doing our, our big public grand opening. We're kind of throwing ourselves open to the community and letting them know we're here and what we're about. I want to encourage you to offer the invite, to target the invite towards that Sunday morning, March 4th, that they would be here. And we'd be able to share. We're going to start right back into the book of John and finish the book of John that week. And that'll be a powerful opportunity for them to hear about the gospel on March 4th. So you put those names down. You pray this week. And then you begin the process of inviting them to March 4th to our public grand opening that week. Would you bow? And would I, can I pray for you in this area? Father, we thank you this morning. Thank you that... That, Father, you, you've made us more than ourselves. You've given us a mission. You've given us a purpose. And, Lord, that 
you've given us something to launch out into and, and Lord, to use our, our gifts and our talents and our finances and everything towards this mission of seeing people come to know you as their Savior. We first give you praise for our own testimonies, our own journeys back to the cross or to the cross. And Father, this morning, I want to pray for every name that was thought of, for every name that went down on a sheet here, for every person that we would say, in my sphere of influence, this is somebody God has called me to go reach. And then help us to do it. Help us to love that person dearly. Love them and may they see it and see how we talk to them and how we treat them. And they're just, man, I, we feel like a friend. But then, Lord, would you open up the avenue and the door to invite, to come and sit with me and hear about Jesus Christ. Hear what he has to offer your life. And Lord, we pray for just an influx from now to March 4th as you make this a priority in the heart of each of us that calls Windover Hills home. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, amen. Well, we're going to invite our, our ushers to come, and we'll take up our, our morning tithes and offerings as we, as we finish off service this morning. Um, as always, you can use our windoverhills.org if that's easier for you, or the envelopes are available for you right there on your seats this morning. Oh, it feels like uh, here the rain has picked up in Stormin', so uh, that'll be fun to go out to in a couple minutes. But uh, we'll delay it just a little bit, though, and I'll ask you to stand, and we'll ask the, the praise team to, to lead us out singing.